welcome to Food Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and who love history and making things, historical or otherwise. So we normally like to start by talking about what we've been making and or baking recently. What have you been up to? I've been terrible. Terrible good or? Well, I had a, a quiet week at work. And I work uh-huh. from home. Um, so I learned corner to corner crochet and I'm about a tenth of the way through a double blanket. <laughs> <laughs> you know, th- it just happens sometimes. Sometimes that's just how it is. Yeah, sometimes you teach yourself a whole new skill because you're bored at work. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's good though because I'm, I'm currently stash busting and my main stash busting project is knitted hexagons. So it's a lot mm-hmm. slower. Okay, yeah, so it's a whole different pace. That sounds good. Yeah, like crochet just builds up a lot faster. Yeah, you do. Ah, that sounds like a fun time. And I have tried and failed to make Barabreath in the bread maker because I cannot prove bread in this house at this time of year. But I really Uh... (laughs) Barabreath. But I know what went wrong. It was just Mm -hmm. way too wet. So I'm going to try a drier mix once I get some more raisins or sultanas, one of the two. Okay. Little shriveled grapes of some description. Oh, no, bad times. Can't handle those. I, I do not like a baked good with raisins in it. I'm sorry. But Barra Breeze. <laughs> it's spiced though as well. You like spiced things. Yeah, oh no, the bread part definitely appeals. Like, 100% would eat. Would probably pick the raisins out, though. You you need just a spiced and rich bread. Yeah. Yeah. That is what I need. I don't know what you would call it at that point, because it means spotted bread. Oh, I guess just bread? Is that just brief? You could... Uh, barra. Just barra, okay. <laughs> you could put in different spots, like some chocolate chips or something. Yeah, yeah, that would work. If you can replace the fruit in Welsh cakes with chocolate chips, I reckon you can yeah. replace the fruit in Barabreath. Oh, yeah, I would 100% eat that. Like, I, I mean, it's functionally the same, isn't it? Like, <laughs> It's still spotted. <laughs> what more do you want? <laughs> I'm glad we established that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I well, have had COVID, so I have not been that productive, but... Um, I've been working a little bit on quilt again. What can I say? Taking thing, making things entirely behind takes a long time. It, it does. But yeah, still enjoying it. And um, I made a banging pie when I started to feel a little better. It was chicken, leek, and bacon. Um, yeah, good. It was good to make pastry again. That was quite fun. Um, but I didn't have quite enough. Like, it's hard to eyeball the amount of pastry you need because I I literally just do half fat to flour and then add water. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of estimating the amount of pastry and I didn't have quite enough. Um, so it was a little bit thin, but that was okay. But I only had enough left to make like one tiny leaf, which is sad because, you know, it's fun to do like a whole design on top. But mm-hmm. that was a small leaf. Um, I am planning, because I have some saffron left over from when I made barfi, um, I'm planning to make 
something that was a local larder quite a few episodes ago, I think last year, um, which is lusaketa, the Swedish saffron Ooh. buns that are served traditionally on St. Lucy's Day. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give them a go and I will report back. Yeah, that that's about it. Um, I have not been very productive because sadly... Um, I was sick enough to not have the energy for hobbies, which is is bad time. That's because, pretty sick for you. Uh, yeah, hobbies are like ninety percent of my personality. <laughs> so, anyway, um, what or should I say who? Sorry, you probably heard that. I I I have had a couple of glasses of prosecco. It's almost my birthday. <laughs> I'm ready to have a good time. What or who are we talking about today? I. I thought that I would talk about Julia Child. Okay. Because I keep seeing that one Tumblr post about how she was really tall and people don't expect her to have been really tall. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that. Um, I didn't know she was really tall. That's fantastic. Six foot two. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That is a tall lady. That is a tall lady. So the most I know about Julia Child is from the film Julie and Julia, which is actually one of my favourite films. It's very good. Um, but yeah, I, I do not know much about her beyond that. So I'm interested to find out, like, what is true? What is artistic licence? Like, what's the real story? Well, I haven't actually seen that film. So I went in pretty much just knowing that the film exists. Mm-hmm. And I've watched, um, I think it's the Anti Chef on YouTube, where he like makes Julia Child recipes and and very frequently goes, "What are you doing, Julia? <laughs> oh, actually, that slaps." Oh, oh, you know, words to that effect, but more Canadian. <laughs> Fantastic! I'm gonna have to watch more of those. Um, cool. So. In the film, um, it implies, it, yeah, it it kind of shows her coming to France and then, like, starting to get interested in cooking there. Um, so, yeah, what what is the further backstory to Julia Child, famous for bringing French cooking to the masses? Oh yeah, I probably should have mentioned that part, shouldn't I? It's like, why she's interesting <laughs> to people that don't know about Julia Child. Yeah, she's basically known as the person that introduced French-style cuisine to, um, like, regular people in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was in the 50s? So 60s, I believe, is when she... Yeah, 60s is when she started um, cooking on TV. Okay. So she was born just incredibly middle class. Her maternal grandfather um, was a lieutenant governor of Massachusetts and founder of the Western Paper Company. Oh gosh, that is two very different things that I didn't expect to be happening in the same sentence. And her father was a land manager. Okay. Didn't actually cook as a child at all uh her family had a cook so it just wasn't uh, really something that existed much for her it was just kind of someone makes food and then there is food uh-huh 
um you know when went to boarding school where she played basketball um which was was a surprise until i learned that she was in fact six foot two like the pictures of her she doesn't look that tall i guess because she's not normally next to someone in the oh, pictures okay. of her but six foot two that's pretty tall. Yeah, I can see why that would make a good basketballer. Is that what they call people who play basketball? Basketballers? I don't know. Um, I think they're just anyway. basketball players. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Anyway, super tall. Um, yeah, super tall and played basketball, enjoyed small game hunting. Okay. And... Um, was also the leader of a hiking group called the Vagabonds. <laughs> I love it. That is adventurous. Which feels very, like, anti one of the things that she did at college, which was she was a part of a group called the Grass Cops. What? Um, who were responsible for making sure that students didn't go onto the lawn on campus. That's an extremely specific job. Yeah. It's just... The fact that that was even, like, a thing that some of the students could do as well to me. I know. To be fair, if I was, like just hanging out on the grass and some six foot tall basketball playing lady came up to me and was like, get off the grass. I would do it. Oh yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, but yeah, she, she still wasn't actually, you know, food adjacent at all. At all. Mm-hmm. Um, she actually ended up working for the office of strategic services in world war two. Oh, what does that do? Um, intelligence. Ah. Espionage, that kind of thing. Oh, that's exciting. Um, yeah, so in 44-45, she worked in Sri Lanka um, as basically a major secretary for the Office of Strategic Services. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, the reason she ended up in there was she was too tall for the Women's Army Corps. Oh, you can be too tall? I mean, you could in the 40s, I guess. Okay. Um, so yeah, she started out as a typist in Washington and then ended up in Sri Lanka and actually ended up, um, after that, worked in China and was awarded the Emblem of Meritorious Civilian Service, which is the highest civilian award in the US Army. Oh, okay. No way. Um, she also attempted to invent a shark repellent because apparently sharks would set off sea mines. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm, I'm getting the sense that this... shark repellent is still being used according to Wikipedia, at least. I'm getting the sense that this is a person who just has a go at anything. Which honestly is a very good... I don't know, I think that's a very good um, 
attitude for someone who's going to end up in cooking. Um, yeah, there's there's actually a story about it on the CIA website. Oh, about Julia Child's shark repellent, which <laughs> I will I will link to in the show notes. I guess that's kind of a recipe, right? I mean, technically. <laughs> but yeah, Julia Child shark repellent. There you go. Huh. Um, so while living in Sri Lanka, she met her future husband, Mr. Child, uh, Paul Cushing Child, specifically. Plays wonderfully by Stanley Tucci in the film Julia and Julia. Oh, I can definitely see that. <laughs> Sorry, I, I need to see this film probably. Would I wasn't. I wasn't that interested, but it's got Stanley Tucci, and he's always yeah. fun. Stanley Tucci and Meryl Streep play Paul and Julia Child, and it's as good as you can imagine. Um. So in in nineteen forty eight, Paul, who is also um a, a military type, was assigned to Paris. Mm-hmm. And. She she says, uh, there's a quote from an interview with NPR where she says the food was just marvellous. It was still the old classical cuisine and it was just delicious. I've never had such good food again as we had then. And clearly she did like it because she was like, I'll go to the Cordon Bleu, why not? Um, yeah, she, she ended up going to a cooking class um, which was actually aimed at GIs. Okay. So aimed at the the like American soldiers, which started at seven in the morning and finished just in time for her to rush home and cook lunch for her husband. Oh, of course. <laughs> but I mean, this is a French style lunch, two hour lunch break, proper okay. cooking, whatever she had just learned, essentially. As, I mean, I guess. If you're, like, actually training to be a chef, that's fair enough. I Just the thought of a two-hour lunch break is just, like... The dream. Oh, that is the dream. <laughs> that would be so amazing. Um, so, yeah, so then she joined um, Le, Cirque, Le Circle des Gourmets, which was a women's gourmet cooking club in Paris, um, where she meets uh, Simone Beck, who's writing a French cookbook for Americans. Oh, that's fantastic. In the film, they just meet at a party. Um, I didn't know there was an actual club for women cooks. Not necessarily cooks, but women who were interested in... Ah, okay. ...in, in like, gourmet food. Yeah, yeah. Um... It actually started as a club of the wives of members of the Club Descent, which was a gastronomic club. And they they would have uh, lunch and dinner parties. Oh, so like a fancy society to have the excuse to like have lots of nice lunch and dinner parties. Actually, yeah. Nice. But like a French gourmet potluck. Is what I need to picture. Oh, yes. 
and Beck and another woman, uh, Berthold, who were working on this cookbook, they basically brought Julia Child in to help them make sure that it would actually appeal to Americans. Mm -hmm. And in 1951, they actually set up a school called uh, L'Ecole des Trois Gourmands, the school of the three gourmands, food lovers, which, if you look at pictures of Julia Child from, especially earlier in her TV career, she's often wearing a obnoxiously large, frankly, badge with that written on it, like called it Trigomond. Oh yeah, I'm looking at a few pictures now and that is that is a large badge. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> I like the idea that it's a con a continuation of the cooking school though. Yeah, so the the child's eventually moved back to the US and in sixty one um, this book, which is 726 pages, Mastering wow. the French Cooking, which is basically, it's it's the Julia Child book. Like, if you say Julia Child's cookbook, you're probably talking about Mastering the Art of French Cooking. Mm-hmm. That is a tome. It's, yeah, it's massive. <laughs> um... And, you know, she went on to do other cookbooks later, um, which all had tie-in TV specials, which is quite fun. Um, but her first time on TV was in 1962, promoting Mastering the Art of French Cooking, um, where she basically stole the entire show <laughs> while, while making this beautiful French omelette. Just being kind of the thing she ended up being known for, which was being very funny... And also very forthright, I think would be the polite way of phrasing it. <laughs> very, okay. very like no nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I know that her. I've not actually seen any of her cooking shows, but I know that she was quite well known for being just like, yeah, very sort of relatable <laughs> on TV. <laughs> so this this was on the. Um, a Boston educational television network. But yeah, people liked her so much, she ended up in 1963 having a regular TV show which ran nationally for 10 years. And, wow. she, actually, and she actually won an Emmy. Oh, no way! Yeah, the first Emmy for an educational programme was mm. for Julia Child's cooking show, which is brilliant. Not just a cooking show, any educational programme. That's amazing. In 1972, it was the first television programme to be uh, captioned. Mm -hmm. Which is just amazing in itself, the idea of captioned television that early on. For, and it specifically being something so useful, I think is yeah. really interesting. Yeah, definitely. But part of why the show ended up so popular was because it was live. Um, just because a lot of shows were, because it was the 60s. Mm -hmm. So when she messed up, she, you know, reacted to that naturally in a very good humoured way, which endeared her oh. to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I get, yeah, thinking about that, like, when you watch cooking shows now, like, it's all kind of perfect, but... 
being Here's able one to I see. made earlier. Yeah. <laughs> but like being able to see actually someone make the same mistakes that you might make if you tried that recipe, like, and then fix it. Yeah. Um, interestingly, a lot of um, a lot of people were not particular fans. Um, there were a lot of complaint letters about how she had poor kitchen demeanor. <laughs> um, I found a quote from one, which is. You are quite a revolting chef, the way you snap bones and play with raw meats. Oh. <laughs> That's a little bit unsettling. Um, the other main criticism was, because, you know, this is the 60s is when we're starting to see diet culture come in. So we have people mm. complaining about how high fat and generally, like, unhealthy French cooking is. Mm. Um, and she was basically like, yeah, but you don't have to eat a whole lot. There's a quote. I would rather eat one tablespoon of chocolat russe cake than three bowls of jello. Ooh. Which hard agree. I mean, yeah. Hard agree. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah, from, from this NPR interview, she's talking about some of the the mess-ups while um filming and talking about how there was there's a point where she would um, she accidentally touched the stove and ended up grabbing her breast in shock. <laughs> Which I mean, anyone anyone who has breasts will relate to this. It's like a comfort thing, kind of. Yeah, I guess it's where your hat, like you, you naturally sort of pull up your hands to it. It's just there. Yeah, so like you just end up grabbing it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people weren't fans of that. I mean, if you happen to be on national television, is it like? A little bit different, but like also, <laughs> I would love to see that on national television. But the shows got really popular, and to to the point where she she was played by Dan Aykroyd on SNL. Um, she was a great fan of the of the parody, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, she used to enjoy, um, him, you know, dressed as her full like pantomime dame Julia Child um, very easy to find on YouTube very entertaining okay. um, just constantly taking sips of wine while cooking and getting drunk <laughs> um, apparently people did accuse her of that but she said that would be very gauche mm. is, the, is the word that she used amazing um, and yeah she went on Cooking on TV, um, yeah, right up until the nineties, and releasing more um, TV shows and books. Um, she became an AIDS activist after her friend uh, passed of AIDS-related complications. Huh. And yeah, um, just one more interesting thing I think is after she died, she was buried in. Neptune Memorial Reef, which is an underwater burial site. It's the it was the world's yeah, it was designed to be the world's largest man-made reef. Okay, I was not expecting that. What? Yeah. Is that this is in America, right? Um, it is off the coast of Key Biscayne in Florida. Okay, wow. 
and yeah, was originally designed to hold the remains of 850 people, which, like, I I won't go into it, but look up the Neptune Memorial Reef. Like, it's I think it's a little bit outside of our jurisdictions, the wrong word. It's the sort of thing we generally cover. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just a really interesting site. It's got underwater, like, cemetery gates and everything. Oh, wow. And it, it was conceived as a, yeah, a, a burial site. It's um, cremated remains are mixed with cement to form this artificial reef. Oh, okay, to make, like, coral. Yeah, and it does it does have coral on it now. Okay. Oh, wow. That is a twist in the tale that I was not expecting. That was really and- interesting. And yeah, her her remains were added in two thousand and four. That is so, just such an interesting life. Yeah, so that is Julia Child from <laughs> espionage to an Emmy for cooking on TV. Yeah, to eventually a coral reef. Yeah, that is that is really packing a lot in your your life. Um, that's brilliant. I would like to actually try out one of her recipes at some point. I I am a bit intimidated by them, though. Yeah, a lot of them are very elaborate, I think, just mm. because it is just because it is that kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't I can't think of the word, but because it's kind of that era of French cooking, it's very elaborate. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, and it's like it, they seem quite designed for people who have a lot of time to cook. Yes, and also for presentation as much as flavour. Mm. Okay, but also a lot of them do look quite tasty. Yeah, they they do sound kind of banging. <laughs> Except for maybe the aspic business. Oh yeah, like. I will put up with the jelly in a pork pie. That's about as far as I'll go with aspect. <laughs> it's still the 60s, I guess. Yeah. Um, so if you want to support us and maybe help Hazel get a copy of Mastering the Art of French Cooking, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash breadandthread where you can also get access to a Discord server and various recipes. We are on Tumblr at Bread and Thread, which is now our main area for updates on the podcast. Um, we post teasers for upcoming episodes, pictures of things we talk about on the podcast, and reblog things that are relevant to the domain of uh, food and domestic history. And if you want to suggest an episode, a local larder, someone to cover, uh, you can message us there or email breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com. So thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time. Au revoir. <laughs>